This week, we are joined by David Suk, co-founder and CEO of St. Luna Spirits, which produces the premium St. Luna charcoal filtered moonshine. We talk with David on what made him decide to leave the corporate world behind and become a founder of a craft distillery, how he came up with the idea to create a modernized and premium version of moonshine, and the amount of work involved in getting the product to market. Make sure you check them out online at stlunaspirits.com. Enjoy the show. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Industry Podcast. My name is Kip Saunders. This is Dan Soretta. What's going on? Happy New Year. This is our first episode recording in 2021. That's correct. Yeah, Happy New Year. Yeah, not much going on. Just enjoying some time off from the uh, slave trade I call work. And yeah, then... well, my slave trade is shut down for another <laughs> month, so we're in lockdown here again. Yeah. And uh, KW for um, at least a month, I'm guessing. That's correct. Yeah, until yeah, towards the end of January. So not much to do except uh, get caught up on Netflix again. Yes. Um, we have a great guest for you, as always, today. It's going to be a little bit of a different episode. Uh, we have David Sook joining us, and uh, he is not actually a service industry employee, but he is a distiller of craft uh, Moonshine. So we're going to have a little different slant on the industry podcast today from a different angle. It should be very interesting. We should give a shout out to Atzac Canada Design for all the beautiful artwork for the industry podcast. Also, maybe time to shout out Aaron Hatchell again for all the help he gives us booking people. If you want to be on the industry podcast, you can just DM us at the industry of podcast. And the best way you can help this podcast that you love so dearly is to subscribe, rate, and review. Only takes a minute, folks. Only takes a minute. That is correct. So fuck 2020, that's behind us, and uh, <laughs> we'll see if we can get through another lockdown and um, hopefully come out the other side with some vaccines, and maybe people will start going out in public again. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be a boon to the service industry? Oh, true, true, it would be. No. I had somewhere else to drink other than my own basement. <laughs> well, that works for me these days. Um, okay, so we're just, let's get right to it. We're going to bring in David Sook. He is the founder of St. Luna's Moonshine. Well, co-founder, I guess, and CEO of St. Louis Moonshine, and he's coming to us from uh, Hoboken, New Jersey. How are you doing, David? I'm good. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, well, thanks, thanks for, for doing on. this. So you were you were based in New York originally and just recently moved to New Jersey. And when you were um, in New York, you were you were the COO of, uh, what is this place called? We tried to look it up. With. It's, not, it's not a Canadian company that we're familiar with. So Aiden and Ace? Yes. Yeah, so it's actually a company that's baby blankets. I started there back in my early days, um, and it, it, it's just the way that the blanket is made that makes it super different, and so I was primarily responsible for, you know, all manner of operations, sales, and, you know, I did that for a big career um, in New York, sort of had this idea for craft premium moonshine that I didn't think existed on the market, and, you know, St. Luna was sort of, the idea for St. Luna at least was born. So what makes your moonshine different? Because there are a lot of moonshine products on the market, but most of them are pretty shitty. So tell us what makes yours better. They are. So it's the mash bill. Um, okay. So molasses and rye. So it's almost like you've got an unaged rum meets an unaged whiskey. Mm-hmm. And then we use a charred oak stave to filter it. So you get a nice hint of sweetness on the finish. I think what separates from all the moonshine on the market is that St. Luna is so smooth, you can sip it on ice, but it's also incredibly cocktail forward. So Mm. I could play up that molasses base and make you sort of a daiquiri and go more of like a tiki style with it. Um, I could play up the rye base and make you an old fashioned, um, but then I could make you a Negroni 
that is just unbelievably good. Hmm, great. And so what, how, how did you, like, so you're working, uh, you're running a baby blanket company, essentially doing, taking care of all the operating procedures. How do you transition from that to going into moonshine? Because obviously it was obviously something you were passionate about, but had you always had that interest? You know, I, so I'm an entrepreneur. Like I just, I've always been interested in learning new things. And I'm one of those wacky people that believes that, you know, the universe just gives you everything you need you need it kind of a thing mm-hmm. so we had decided to make bars um at NNA and the lead chemist um his name is scott smith who's also one of the founding members of saint luna today uh was a master moonshiner so when i met oh. him and i sort of had this idea two years prior to that to premiumize moonshine the universe sort of puts a path and you know, I tabled that for a little while because I was, you know, busy at my day job and there just wasn't time to really think about what was next until we were bought by private equity the second time around. And it just, it got to the point where I just hated going to work, you know, like mm. you'd get up in the morning and it would just be that like, oh God, I got to go do this over again. Um, and one morning I just, I couldn't do it. And so I called Scott and I had said, you know, remember we had that conversation about moonshine you know, all that time ago, do you think I could actually fly down, um, fly down and try it? You know, at the time he was living in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Um, and so I drove, I flew down rather, um, you know, he drove me out to his buddy's farm in Georgia and he had a homemade still set up in the driveway. And we just sat there all afternoon stilling just the most gorgeous moonshine. Hmm. Um, and that was St. Luna. And so I I ended up buying the recipe from him and looked at him and just said, Hey, do you want to, go into business, like, let's actually premiumize, let's do this. So do you, at this point, you just quit your job and now this is your full-time gig? So that's a bit, pretty big leap, like, do I you have- it immediately, Kip. Okay. So I, like, I probably was able to out another year. Okay. Um, you know, and I, like, I told Aiden and Anae that I, you know, wasn't happy and that it was time to kind of depart and stuff. Were you like, I'm so unhappy that you've driven me to create my own booze? No, you know, I I try, you know, create my own booze and drink copious amounts of it. Yeah. (laughs) Tried to leave things as amicably as I possibly could. Mm. Just, you never know, comes back around and just, you know, you know, the NDA confidentiality agreement signed and unfortunately go into like the the good details. interesting yeah but needless to say i think it got to the point where you know i wasn't happy and i just you know like you you can't go into work every day and look your team in the face and tell them believe in something when you don't and Mm -hmm. you know the entrepreneurial had sort of bit me many many years ago we were in the the very early stages of developing aiden and danae and i just figured you know what this is the universe telling me it's time to go it's time to kind of start your own thing and you know, be super cautious about the investors and, you know, people that you bring into your business. So uh, just for the people who don't know, because most of the people we talk to on the show are coming from the side of like working in the industry, right? Um, talk, talk us through sort of how you get a company like this up and running. How do you get it going? Where do you, how, like, I know you were mentioning you outsource your distilling. Was that the case from the get-go or did, was that just once you got bigger? No, no, no. We definitely outsourced right from the beginning. And I wasn't um, naive in thinking that I could just learn to become a distiller. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, my expertise was much more on the sales and marketing side of things. And so I kind of figured, let the experts 
take our recipe and do what they do best. Mm -hmm. um, so right after I met Scott, I had gone to the Small Batch Distillers Conference in Pittsburgh, actually, and met a husband and wife team um, from Southern Distilling Company in State Carolina. And I had a sample of the St. Luna Moonshine that I wanted them to create for me. And they, they agreed. They said, yep, we think we could do this for you. And, and they did. You know, they got it right on the, the first go round. You know, the hardest, the hardest part, honestly, is like learning the industry because I, you know, other than drinking lots and kind of sitting at, at all of your bar, you know, like yeah, I yeah. know what it, what it took to, um, to build a liquor brand. So it was the learning aspect. It was the legal stuff because that, I mean, it took us a year to get, to get everything registered and truth be told, like I have spent, you know, I think I'm up to 15 grand just trademarking our names and that's taken wow. two years. Holy smokes. Um, so, uh, yeah, and if you're not comfortable talking about this, that's totally fine. We can just move on. But I'm just sort of interested also, like in the relationship when you're outsourcing the, to a different, to a, to a different distiller, how does the, how do the financials break down for something like that? And again, if you don't want to answer that, I understand. No, I mean, we, we contract everything out and I, I luckily had some friends in the industry that helped me price um, St. Luna to where I could give everybody the appropriate margin that they all that they all want because the distributor takes a margin, obviously bars and restaurants and off-prem, everybody needs a margin. And then obviously I need a margin to be able to live. Mm -hmm. um, so as long as their costing structure fit within that, then we were absolutely fine. Um, you know, and we did some things like we bulk bought molasses and we tried to do big ones early on to try to get uh, cost down to where we could actually be affordable because mm -hmm. I think people are just so used to corn-based moonshines that they think it should just always be cheap um, but the reality is molasses is expensive right and have you found has it been hard to sort of get that message across like to your to the consumer where it's like okay this is a premium product it's moonshine but you're going to pay a little bit more for it because like you said that the 90 percent of the people who go to buy moonshine they're like oh cheap booze right you know i yes and no i guess is the the short answer um you know i don't necessarily go after the moonshine person because if you want to spend 20 bucks on a moonshine that's you know that's what you're buying um i don't know that anybody can upsell you to a you know, fifty dollar bottle of <laughs> no. moonshine at that right. point. Yeah, it's hard to get people who drink old English to go for Heineken. <laughs> That's exactly right. So yeah. I try to go after more of like your bourbon drinkers, your even your rum drinkers, because it has such a heavy concentration of molasses in mm. it. And there's just people out there that really want to experiment with new new liquors that are out there. Um, and, you know, the hardest part for me is just getting people to try it because right. there's that obvious negative connotation to moonshine. Um, to where people are afraid to try it or they've had just such a bad experience with moonshine previously that they just don't want to try it. And how long were you up and running before um, the pandemic hit? Uh, not very long. So I had really gotten out of the gate May 2019. Yeah, yeah. Just as we started to get some traction and had commitments to expand and, you know, all these great things, COVID kind of came and just shut everything down. Right, because you're saying like the the your biggest challenge is like literally getting people to try the product. Well, if we if nobody can meet each other in person, then then that really shuts down their ability to do that. So that is unfortunate. It does, and it shuts down a lot of craft because you know, like what drove me crazy during this pandemic was everybody commenting on, "Oh my God, liquor sales are through the roof. You must be like rolling around in cash, kind of a thing." And it's like, yeah. well, 
I'm a craft brand that yeah. nobody knows exists. Like, exactly. you know, yeah. like I haven't yeah. had, you know, I haven't had revenue in eight months and yeah. like, I'm just trying to keep the lights on, you know, right. like big boys, like all the big, big brands that, you know, you just, you, you know, by typing them into Google or wherever you're going to buy your stuff, like, you know, those guys are doing great. Like all the, yeah, Bacardi's fine. <laughs> well, that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. So that's interesting. And obviously, you were mentioning too that uh, this the moonshine goes really well in cocktails. So another big part of your job is certainly just schlepping it around to different bars, getting in the hands of cocktail bartenders, craft cocktailers who are going to try experiment with it, and then that gets shut down as well. In, in the about year or so that you had to where you were able to do that, what was, what was the response from like craft cocktailing bartenders? You know, I hadn't had a mixologist that didn't absolutely fall in love with it. You know, like we got onto the employees only cocktail menu. Oh, really? Pretty much right out of the gate. Um, and they, you know, they were impressed because it was the only moonshine that they had ever carried um, because it was so cocktail forward. You can actually do something with it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Jean-Georges uh, Nougatine, their Central Park West location was also one of our first accounts, you know, right on their cocktail menu. And again, the only moonshine that they've ever carried because it's premium and you can make cocktails with it. Mm-hmm. Did you, so were you also like the quote unquote rep for this when you're starting out? Is it you personally going bar to bar or did you have, did you hire a rep for you? Like, oh, no, no. Like, I'm in like absolute startup mode. So it was me in right. a backpack and like, it was me with a case of St. Luna delivering it to people. Right. Yeah. Just you pound the pavement and just try to get as many introductions as you possibly can. You know, I mean, the the thing we had going for us is that um, it's a really good spirit. It's different. It's unique. You know, most mixologists, when you sit down and tell them that you have something super different and unique to try, they all want to try it. Whether that fits into the pricing structure of of what they need for that particular bar is a different story. Sure. Um, But I was always able to get people to try it. Um, where does the name come from? It just gives you a nice ethereal sort of premium feeling of the moon. Oh, um, okay. Yep. That correlates back to moonshine. Because right. again, uh, I was thinking, you know, I think moonshine in the United States did really, really well a couple of years ago because there was a heritage piece that people held on to. Mm-hmm. You don't necessarily have that around the world. And I thought if I wanted St. Luna to be sold you know, in Canada or to be on a back bar in Paris or in London, you'd need something that was modern and sophisticated, premium, like you'd need a name that, you know, that would lend itself to that kind of a setting. Hmm. Okay, so I have a few, I have some questions about this. Can you just walk us sort of through the whole process? Like you're starting up the company. First things first, how do you go about distilling moonshine compared to any other spirit? Is there a special process or... I, it's a single distillation and it's not aged. Um, okay. So Southern Distilling takes care of all of that for us. Just a column uh, still? and So we ended up, we actually started in a pot still. Oh, you um, did? Okay. We were able to, yeah, we were actually able to graduate to a column still because they're, they're really, really good at what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was, we didn't compromise on the flavor profile at all. And so we're in a 16 plate column still now. Okay. And and that's and that's this place this place in Pittsburgh. What you said, Pittsburgh, right? Or no, that no, was for the coffee. Oh, so they're in North Carolina. Sorry, yeah. that's my bad. I, I did do the research. I promise. <laughs> um, the okay, so yeah, you're there to steal it out of North Carolina. So when you're setting up this company, you and your partner from the jump, like, talk to me about how. Okay, so you've now you've got your distillers. You've outsourced that. 
Now you got to deal with um, your graphics, your labeling, your bottling. How do you go through a whole, that whole process? Was it overwhelming or was it something you found easy to figure out? You know, it definitely, I wouldn't say it was easy to figure out, but I like, I'm just not an ego driven like person like that at all. So I just asked everybody yeah. I possibly could probably to where I just annoyed the shit out of everybody. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because if I thought that in any way you could lead me to like who might be able to bottle or who might be able to label or anything, mm -hmm. um, I would ask, you know, mm -hmm. even in, in the bar space, you know, if there was a, do you happen to know a mixologist I could talk to on the Lower East Side that might, you know, fall in love with St. Luna? You know, like mm. I just asked and I wasn't afraid to be told to fuck off and I wasn't afraid to just, you know, tell people I didn't know. Right. Um, so it, when you're coming out with a new spirit, whatever it is, the packaging and the presentation is so vitally important these days. It's like arguably more, maybe inarguably more important than what's in the bottle sometimes because... Like that's what stands out on the shelves. That's what stands out on people's back bars. That's what gets people to try it. Did you come up with the the shape of the bottle, the label, all yourself, or did you hire a firm for that? And we hired a firm actually. So mm -hmm. I initially I came up with the name Brooklyn Clear. Okay. Um, and I, so all of our branding sort of had this very um, you know Brooklyn type theme to it. Like it was black and white, and it was very very different to what it looks like now. Um, and then Brooklyn Gin actually thought that it was a little bit too close to their name. So, oh. you know, they tried to sue us. Oh, really? <laughs> they were like, <laughs> well, you know, you get the lawyer letter that's like... Cease you know, and desist type thing? Yeah. yeah. Know, stop doing this. And my attorney at the time was like, well, you know, you'll probably win, but it'll cost you 50 grand, right. you know, to get through that process. And it's like, well, we haven't even gotten out of the gate yet, and I don't have 50 grand. So mm. um, we ended up hiring an, an agency called Special Operations, and they actually were the ones that came up with the name St. Luna. Um, I previously had worked with a company called Berlin Packaging. Okay. Um, and so they shortlisted, you know, six or seven bottles that we could possibly choose. Um, and so I chose that bottle. Special Ops helped design the label, helped come up with the name, um, and just, you know, all of the branding that went along with it. Mm -hmm. Well, it was money well spent. The package looks great. Uh, I can't wait to eventually try it when it gets here to Canada. But definitely, the, you nailed the packaging part. And this is maybe a little in the weeds, but is there like a science that goes into the bottle shape and like what stands out on a shelf? Or did you even get into that with them? Or they just gave you some options and you just picked one? You know, they honestly, I'm sure that there is, but not mm -hmm. having been in the industry or, you know, have the money for that kind of research. Right. Um, I just picked the bottle that that we like the best. Yeah. Um, you know, and now since then I've heard from mixologists that they love the bottle because of the way that the the neck is and it's easy to pour. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, those were things that we really lucked out on. Um, like I'd love to say that we put thought into that, but it didn't even occur. Right. You know, the biggest thing, this is a small one, but like we complain about this all the time at my bar is the bottles that you want to put it on your rail because you want to put it into one of your yeah. cocktails, right? And you want your product on the rail because that means it's going to get used the most. But these companies that make the, the the holes at the top of the bottle too big for a pour spout. <laughs> and it's like, I was like, well, I'm not putting it on the rail because every time I use it, I lose half of it. Like, it's, yeah. They're little things, but they make a difference in the long run. So our bottle fits all of those. And I am beyond thrilled because I didn't think of any of that. <laughs> well, sometimes I guess it's a happy accident, but that's the thing, right? It's these little things that the like bar is going to notice or whatever. It doesn't matter when you're at home, but... You're, and like, obviously before the pandemic happened, you're still, you were still the one just going, 
door to door at all the bars doing all the, the sort of payment work yourself, correct? I was, yeah. So just, you know, I had a, a goal of if I could get to seven or eight accounts in a day, um, then I considered that successful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started on that pretty much right from the very beginning. Um, and then sort of in the evening hours, I would focus on, let's see if I can try to get a distributor interested in, in St. Luna. But, you know, it's hard because they, they also have a negative connotation of moonshine and they've likely X'd out or discontinued a lot of moonshines in their catalog. Right. Uh, so as soon as I say moonshine, like they hang up on you. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just, you know, it's again, it's, it's a relationship game. You know, like I'm working relationships as best I possibly can in the bar space, but then, you know, on the distributor side as well. You know, if I can get introductions or, or warm leads into distributors, then that's sort of how I approach it. Uh-huh. And uh, I know you said you sort of like sales comes naturally to you. Is there any difference that you find in selling spirits as opposed to selling anything else or is it sales, sales? I mean, I think sales is sales. Yeah. Um, you know, this is a lot more fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You sit at the bar while you know your favorite mixologist makes you three or four St. Luna cocktails is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's vastly different to selling baby blankets. Sure, uh, yeah. So yeah. It's definitely more of a, a door-to-door, like pound the pavement type of a sale, though. Yeah, um, I would imagine. Yeah. have trade shows and different types of you know venues where people specifically go to buy. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and and alcohol is very different. Yeah, I mean, speaking as a bar owner myself, like it's the it's the reps who come to your door with the product, try it with you, explain it to you, like what they're going for, what they're shooting for, what goes into it. That's the stuff that sells it to your owners, right? At least from my perspective. So it definitely is a more hands-on, face-to-face type sales, right? Which certainly, again, fucking sucks for you now. <laughs> well, now I've done a like, you know, we've, we've obviously shifted to a lot more off-premise, um, you know, and I give off-premise an extra bottle to be able to taste people just on their own because mm-hmm. I obviously in some states can't do tastings. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and even in the bar space, it's it's all recommendations like if a friend could tell me hey my buddy's over here he wants to talk to you then i'll go but just walking into a bar now knowing that they might be teetering on the edge um like it's not a great way to start a sales relationship so i just don't even i don't even do it yeah nobody's buying new product right now unfortunately but it's all going to come back we're going to get to the other side of this and people will be buying product again Uh, and now you're saying you had some i ideas about expanding. Where were you with regards to that before all of this shut down? So I was in talks with a a distributor called Vintage Imports that uh, they represent New Jersey, Delaware, Pennsylvania, and they've now actually started representing New York. Um, So that got put on hold. So that took me the better part of a year to get them to actually bring us in, which luckily they have. Uh, You know, so that's, that was a big part of our expansion like i was talking to a group in london um that seemed super interested in in saint luna and that's just gone completely quiet which you know there i think they're still in like a tier four lockdown there right um mm-hmm. so you know look i i don't necessarily think any relationship is dead i just think it's a matter of trying to wait this out um you know and for the companies that have the money to be able to wait this out like that's great um you know for me like i you know, cut corners in my personal life every which way I can. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> and I'm just constantly like, all right, great, unemployment, like, you know, when are they going to raise that? 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I know. It's a, well, I think anybody who's even remotely or tangentially into the, in the service industry right now is in the same boat. We're all just like, where is our you know, unemployment check coming from? How long can we ride it for? It's just uh, it's a different world. Um, and it's a ride because, I mean, everybody's sort of like, oh, great, 600 bucks. And it's like, if you just do the basic calculation and it's like, you guys are in Canada, so you're not spending, you know, $800 a month in healthcare, right? insurance and all of that stuff. But it's like, you know, where can you rent something that's less than, say, $1,500 a month? Like, your insurance bill is $800 a month. Like, you know, and then the teeny tiny scraps that you have left are food. So, yeah. like... What, like, what is $600 supposed to do other than, yeah, like, you can't even pay off bills with that. Right. And it's got, about filling the fridge. Yeah. And then to like be reading in the newspaper every day about how they're, <laughs> the Congress is fighting over whether to even give the $600 checks. And like, it's like, are you kidding me right now? Like, people need help. <laughs> it's, fighting it's, over all of that stuff, but like, don't give a second thought giving nearly a trillion dollars to the military and it's right. like not even a second thought for a trillion bucks but americans getting two thousand dollars like not so that they can go like party it up like so that they can actually feed their families like mm -hmm. that is like that's something that we should continue to discuss yeah no kidding well and the funny thing is like we can't even get close enough to each other to war so <laughs> what does the military need that money for? <laughs> I'm a conspiracy theorist with all of that stuff. So yeah. like, I'm convinced that they all have stock in all of those military companies. So it's right. like, you know, it's no question that they want to spend there because it's going right back in their pockets. Right. Well, we don't need to get down that rabbit hole here. So, but we will, <laughs> we will, uh, we will, uh, we'll try and stay on point here. Talk to me about the cocktails that, um, that, when you were going bar to bar and having people use your, your product for cocktails, what were some of your favorites? So I actually, I love an old fashioned uh, with St. Luna. I think that's unbelievable. Um, there is, so there's a bar actually in Hoboken, New Jersey um, called Antique Bar and Bakery. Stephanie O'Neill is their head mixologist and she does a Hemingway daiquiri with uh, St. Luna that is unbelievable. Um, oh, yeah, like really, really tasty. Um, Employees Only has done like watermelon cocktails with St. Luna over the summer that have been really tasty. Um, you know, and I'm a huge fan of a Negroni. A Negroni, mm -hmm. but with St. Luna because you don't get the bite. Right. And like, so the profile, like you're, you're does like do all the little specific uh, flavor profiles come through? Like, walk us through the tasting notes of the of St. Luna. St. Luna, the spirit. So I, I mean, I think the flavor comes through in just about any cocktail that you make. Um, it just depends on how you dial it up. If you're going more daiquiri or more sort of old fashioned, um, mm -hmm. but the molasses gives it like a, gives St. Luna a really nice grassiness, um, like big vanilla caramel notes. Like some people get grapefruit. I don't, but some people do. Um, on the back of the palate, you get a pepper and a spice and that's the rye. Then because we use a charred oak stave to filter it, the finish is a subtle smokiness. Um, so I've done things where like I've charred walnuts and I've infused that um, in St. Luna to bring out more of the smokiness. And then I make an old fashioned with that. Um, 
And how does it work? Um, this is uh, just to veer off for a little bit. How does it work going state to state with the product? Are there different liquor laws for each state in the U.S.? We're not exactly. So here everything runs through the Liquor Control Board of Ontario. So any spirit that you bring in has to be approved by them. Then they sell it to you. Uh, how does it work uh, in the U.S.? Is it state to state or? Everything state to state. Mm. Um, so I register on a federal level. So I register my brand label and tax and all of that. And then each state has a very different set of rules of what you're supposed to follow and, and different registrations. And have you run into any specific challenges with that process or has it been smooth no, sailing? No, no, I mean, so I work with Park Street Imports. Um, they sort of allow me to self-distribute. Okay. Um, and they, they take care of a lot of the compliance type stuff. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise it's just, it's, it's impossible. Yeah, I can imagine. That's, uh, uh, yeah, I can't even imagine. Like just trying to get, it's different in every, all the provinces here, but just trying to get through stuff through our liquor control board here is a gigantic pain in the ass. And well, I hear- I, they, they force you to do the wrong thing is what it ultimately comes down to. Because I mean, the amount of rules that you have to follow, like I'm not technically allowed to give a bottle to an influencer. Right. You know, like they technically are supposed to go buy that at a liquor store um, and then- talk about it which obviously no one is doing no one's going to do that no that's ridiculous yeah so yeah. how do you get around that you pretty much just buy it and give it to them and then gift it to them yeah yeah you just gift it to them yeah you know but there's a million rules like that where you're just like you know i'm not allowed to mail samples of, of alcohol and it's like well how like <laughs> How am I going to get it to people? Yeah, and these the rules seem pretty arbitrary. Like, why? What you know what I mean? Like, what? Because we have the same thing. Like, so for instance, in um, Alberta, their laws are a lot less strict than Ontario with regards to liquor. So, as a home consumer, I can have a ton of stuff shipped from, say, Calgary to my house, uh, just because they have more product available that we can't get here. But I can't sell it in my bar. So it's just, it's crazy frustrating. So yeah, I don't get, I don't get the rules at all. Hmm. And yeah. I don't know because a lot of people don't follow them anyway. So, right. you know, like New York is a very pay to play type model in a lot of places, which, you know, you're not supposed to do, but everybody does it. Mm -hmm. And what's, uh, so are you guys into the, one thing we get a lot here is like case deals. So like, you know, when you buy so many cases, you throw in an extra bottle or whatever it is. Is that something that flies in New York or? I mean, you do it anyway, but I don't think you're supposed to. Right. Okay. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, again, some of these rules are just incredibly arbitrary and it's and seem designed to keep like small business down in a way. I mean, that's definitely how I feel. Yeah, I can imagine. Um now, is the St. Luna moonshine available just regionally in the States, like, say, northeastern U.S., or are you more cross-country right now? Uh, so it's more cross-country just because of um, the deals that we've struck with, like, caskers.com and Drizzly. Um, they're allowed to ship to more states than I'm registered in. Okay. Oh, wow. How many states are you currently registered in? Uh, five. Five. Okay. Um, so... I guess I, I, I'm, I'm super interested in you making this bold decision to like, and I admire you for like, okay, I don't like this job anymore. I got to I just got to do something different and chasing after something you're passionate about. It's, um, it's, but it's also like, it's a big risk, like a, a huge financial hit. I'm sure being COO of a company where you were doing okay there. And then now all the outlay of money you're putting into this, starting up this company, mm -hmm. plus 
it, it's a long process till you start seeing some returns on that. It is. No, it's scary at times. Um, you know, but when I have bad days of just like thinking, oh my God, I've made the worst decision ever. You have a uh, case of moonshine sitting there to take care of it? Yeah, right. No, I didn't. <laughs> just kidding. I didn't either. Uh, no, look, I, absolutely right. I may as well drink it if nobody yeah. finds it. No, but, um, no, like, you know, I'll have a bad day, but then like you guys will text and be like, hey, do you want to come on our podcast? Yeah. Or like, you know, Thirsty Magazine just did a whole feature on St. Luna a couple weeks ago. And it's like, there's interest, you know, like there's more interest in, in St. Luna at the moment. Um, and it, it feels great, you know? So then I kind of get re-energized and I'm like, all right, you haven't made the biggest you know mistake of your life. It's just, it's that entrepreneurial journey that, you know, at the very beginning sucks. Like, and it's just, it is having a backpack and walking up and down the streets and being told no, being kicked out of places and, you know, being financially strapped and stuff, but you hope at some point that there's a reward that that comes at the end of that, you know, like that you're able to build your company into something that can actually sustain you. Mm -hmm. um, and at least it's yours, right? Like, well, and it's mine. That's exactly right. But, you know, even just how you run, how I run St. Luna is so different to Aiden and an A because like we had money. It wasn't, you know, you weren't scrimping on every possible thing or, you know, like I use the post office to ship so many things because they have a flat rate postage. That's like 15 bucks. And I'm like, you know, there's just decisions that you make and costs that you consider on every single level. Yeah. That I obviously didn't have to consider in my, my last job, but right. You know, it's fun. I enjoy what I'm doing. I love St. Luna. I drink it. Um, mm. you know, I drink lots of it because I think <laughs> this. And, you know, yeah. we're in a pandemic and there's nothing else to do. <laughs> yeah. uh, what, what was your passion for moonshine specifically as opposed to getting into distilling a different type of spirit? Was it just that you saw an opening on the market where there really wasn't a high end moonshine or was it something you were already passionate about? It was the opening, you know, it was definitely the opening in the market because there wasn't a premiumized version of Moonshine. Um, Scott, who you guys at some point I'm sure will meet, um, is really the sort of the brains behind the recipe of St. Luna. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he is passionate about that recipe because it's taken him about 15 years to craft it. Right. Um, you know, me, I'm more passionate about the fact that we have a really good spirit, um, mm -hmm. the challenge of trying to you know, take a, a spirit category that is typically known for being down market and premiumizing that. Um, I mean, that's, yeah. that's sort of where, where I thrive. Yeah, that's cool. I think that would, that would be exciting to me too, is like taking, cause it's a little more difficult than just like, like shopping a new vodka around town. You know what I mean? It's very, it's like something like that's a much easier sell. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. it definitely is. Mm -hmm. and, and it's good. You know, like yeah. that's why, I, you know, I'm happy to get out there and pound the pavement because I know, I drink it, you know. Yeah, I like it's it. nice when you believe in it, right? Like, yeah, I talk to reps all the time. It's like, no, I really believe in this. And you can see it on their face. That it's like, oh, yeah, that's, that's in your salesman handbook. But yeah. Um, well, I think it's super cool what you did here. Um, and uh, I hope that once we get on the other side of this pandemic, that uh, people have a chance to try your product in bars again. People, anyone listening to this product, how do they find it? How can, they, how can you get it to them for private sales? Is that even a thing? Uh, no, it is. So we're on reservebar.com. We're on caspers.com. If you have a membership, we're on flaviar.com. I actually love flaviar um, because of the membership taking boxes that they give you. Yeah. Um, we're, also, we're also on drizzly.com. 
Okay, great. Um, uh, we'll put all this in the show notes for you as well. Uh, well, David, I think you're you're a super cool guy, and uh, I think what you did is awesome. I can't wait till we can get St. Luna in Canada so we can try it here. Yes. Uh, so I believe that in Canada we have to register in each province. Yes. Um, so we've just started in Vancouver because we have a, a group of restaurants called Top Table that I think are going to take us. Mm-hmm. Um, so once that registration is done, then we're, the plan is to expand as quickly as we can. Oh, nice. Well, you have my email now, and one of my bars is a uh, is a speakeasy. So uh, awesome. so it's perfect for moonshine. So if you got my email as soon as it's available in Ontario, hit me up and we'll bring it in. It sounds awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thank you, guys. Thank you so much for this. No, thanks for doing it, Dave. We appreciate it. It was nice to get a sort of a different type show. We haven't had anyone who's been like on the distilling side of it, so this was super fascinating. Thanks for doing it. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Yeah, Yeah. my pleasure. Thanks, guys.